Hello, and welcome to Uplift, a podcast about the transformative power of design from architecture and design firm NBBJ. I'm your host, Dr. Hina Santry. Each week, we chat with people from all over the healthcare continuum who've been deeply affected by the built environment. On today's episode, burnout among healthcare providers is well-documented. Physicians, nurses, and other caregivers report higher rates of anxiety and depression compared to the general population. COVID exacerbated and brought a national spotlight to this crisis. In fact, since the pandemic, one in five healthcare workers has left their job. Previously, designing clinical spaces for well-being was focused primarily on the patient. Now, the physical and psychological safety of healthcare workers and the cost of employee turnover is increasingly a top priority. To discuss the causes of burnout, how to reduce it, and the design implications for buildings focused on caregiver well-being, I'm joined by Karen Grimley, Chief Nursing Executive at UCLA Health in Los Angeles and Dr. Stephen Bird, Chief Experience Officer at UMass Memorial Healthcare in Worcester, Mass. Also joining me today is my NBBJ colleague, Terry Ulrich, who is also a nurse. Let's dive in. Well, thank you everyone for being here today. It's really exciting to have you here today to talk about something that's so near and dear to my heart. And uh, let's start with you, Karen. Tell us a little bit more about your professional background and your current role at UCLA Health. Well, good morning, and thank you for inviting me. I'm the chief nursing executive here at UCLA Health. I've been in nursing for a really long time, and it has been a labor of love. And Steve, you know, you've had a long career as an emergency medicine physician, but you've also done a lot more and have a really important role at UMass Memorial Healthcare now. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you do now. Sure, Hina. I've been an emergency physician for about 27 years. I ran an NIH-funded lab for about 10. I was a residency program director for 10 years. And just over three years ago, shortly before the pandemic, I became our chief experience officer. And Terry, who I get to work with on a regular basis, I'm so happy to have you here with us. Uh, You're a nurse. You have over a 30-year career, however, in design and planning for health systems. So tell us a little bit about how that happens. I started out as a pediatric intensive care nurse, and I decided I wanted to go back to graduate school to get a business degree to go into hospital administration and work with all my fellow nurses. And then this opportunity arose to work with Seattle Children's to right-size the facility for the next 20 to 30 years. And that opportunity was with NBBJ. And I fell in love with design and creating spaces that enhance the patient and the caregiver experience. All of us in healthcare delivery, myself included, have experienced stress associated with the profession the long hours, the time away from family, the life or death acuity of the work that we're doing. And while COVID certainly brought this phenomenon of moral injury and compassion fatigue among healthcare professionals to the forefront, the reality is it's been many, many decades that healthcare workers have been experiencing an epidemic of burnout. So starting with you, Karen, can you talk a little bit about some of these longstanding drivers of burnout across the U.S. healthcare workforce? I don't know if we have enough time, you know. <laughs> you know, you're right. It's very sobering when you when you look at all of this. I'm going to use nursing as my frame of reference here. But nursing has always been something that was, quote, in the bed rate, right? Uh, I think in some respects, we as a profession have settled for not having enough. 
and we've fixed lots of things, especially in the middle of the night or on a weekend, and we've made it okay. And the issue with that is I think that other people just, you know, a step removed from that work in the health system, assume that that's the way it was. And they didn't have any recognition of the significant need to fix something because nurses always made it look okay or made it seem okay. So, you know, we have an obligation as healthcare leaders now to learn from what we've seen, understand that nurses have been coping with things far beyond what they should have since Florence started. And we need to make a significant contribution to nursing well-being to help with burnout. Honestly, so much of what you're saying, you know, with your reference points as a nursing leader to the nurses who you represent and to the nursing background that you have really deeply, deeply resonates with me as a physician even. You know, I think what drives people into these caregiving professions is that when the patient is at the center of the work that we do, we'll do anything and everything. And so with that, I'd like to pivot to you, Steve, as someone whose role is overseeing physicians, advanced practice providers, and as you noted, to a certain extent, the medical students before they become residents, you know, what would you say is also, you know, adding and contributing to moral injury and compassion fatigue amongst those who who you're representing? Well, I think one thing that contributes to moral injury that's not new is our general failure uh, to limit care, right? Of setting boundaries for how much we will do to people when we know they won't survive. So this has been well established in ICU care, and we saw a lot more of it during the pandemic. And so that contributes greatly to moral injury. I think currently what's creating a lot of moral injury amongst healthcare workers is the tremendous mental health crisis occurring in this country. It seems that there are a variety of contributors to burnout. And when we think about caring for the caregiver, there's this idea of providing those opportunities to help with the dopamine, serotonin responses from the brain to really kind of settle the fight or flight response that many healthcare workers have to have kick in to be able to do a good job, certainly in critical care units and in the emergency department, right? So there is that piece of it, but there's also the other piece of it, which is how can I make the action of doing your job easier? And so I wanted to talk a little bit about how we are thinking in your current environments about caring for the caregiver, this idea that we are supporting our staffs both physically and mentally um, now that it is more recognized as a priority of health systems. Steve, I'll start with you. How have you embraced this in your program at UMass Memorial? You know, I think it starts, and it started with us, with, with leadership. And I'm reminded that our CEO, who is a physician during the height of the pandemic, was out in the COVID testing tent set up in the parking lot, testing people himself. So I think that really sets a tone. And things that we've done, I mean, we set up lots of programs, which continue to this day. We established a peer support group, which we had, but we stood it up twice a day doing, doing it virtual. We created lots of child care availability. We, like every organization across the country, we're trying to do this simultaneously. So we didn't do enough of it. We created respite rooms. 
not exactly what I had initially wanted, which was kind of a fully immersive, quiet place. We also instituted a standards of respect model for patient and family and visitor behaviors. We know that abuse, verbal abuse and mistreatment of healthcare workers has increased a lot. And so in an effort to address that, we've created standards of respect for family and um, patients and visitors that you know we're not going to tolerate mistreatment of our important workforce. And we're also at UMass, you know, I'm a data person at heart. Uh, and so we've created uh, interventions that we're actually studying. So we launched the largest comprehensive digital health randomized control trial ever done in the world in partnership with Fitbit and Google Health. We've done studies of sleep in healthcare workers who work night shifts. And we also instituted free wellness coaching. We created certified coaches or we had six of our physicians become certified wellness coaches. And we offer through my office free wellness coaching for anyone who wants it. Karen, how about you at UCLA? How are you approaching caring for the caregivers? I think to Steve's point, a couple of things that have been really top of mind for us are staff safety and also their wellness. And the way we've looked at both of these things is there's a lot of things we say we do and we say we can do as far as how we're managing the safety of the environment. But, you know, what are the actions we can take? So we put in weapons detection systems at our entrances to the emergency departments. We've put in a new visitation uh, monitoring system. The other thing we've also done is we've, we've employed a staff assist button and we're piloting that right now. So the staff actually have an assist button on their person that they can activate in the event they need help at, an, at a given moment with a response team standing by to help with that. So we've done a lot of different things that are tangible to the staff today. And I think that's alleviated a lot of their stress. So the wellness piece for us has centered around relationship-based care. We use the relationship-based care model in nursing for how we provide our care to our patients. It's based on three relationships, the relationship with the patient, the relationship with colleagues, and the relationship that the person has with themselves. You know, to Terry's point, as far as building things that work better, ensure comfort and wellness, we have to involve the end user. The nurse and the physician at the bedside need to tell us what works. I can't do it. Terry can't do it. But we need to give them the audience to make it happen. Terry, so both Karen and Steve have alluded to the various stressors that um, healthcare workers are facing and have cited among them inefficiencies in work. Right. So can you tell us in the work that you do with healthcare clients who are looking to renovate or expand their footprints, what are you seeing healthcare leadership, facilities and design leadership asking you to be able to address burnout amongst doctors, nurses and other health professionals? Great question, because the number one thing that we hear is that leaders want tangible evidence on what kind of spaces what kinds of services, and what kind of programs can help them reduce stress in the workplace for their caregivers. Healthcare space is extremely expensive, and it's limited space. Revenue for hospitals is generated where patients are taken care of. That isn't necessarily the best place to have respite rooms. 
But there's two ways that I look at reducing stress for staff. One is making the environment they work in the best place to work. We went into nursing to be nurses. The second is to have a place to go and to put my head down, to scream, to cry if I need to. That can be on the unit or off the unit. So two ways we can do that. You know, it's not an accident, Karen, that you and Steve were invited to be with us here today. You've been really remarkable leaders at your respective institutions and in driving um, the kind of change that brings about these programs that you mentioned. And so the question I have for both of you, and we'll go back to Steve to start, is culture change is hard, especially at history organizations with many decades of doing things a certain way or professions that have ingrained in them. So it's a combination of tradition and organizational culture that come into play sometime and resist change. So as leaders, how have each of you worked to implement culture change in the work that you do? Well, you know, five years ago, a culture of wellness would not have been recognized as a burning platform by anyone in the C-suite. But, you know, healthcare executives are also data-driven people, and they now recognize the tremendous cost and time commitment of hiring people, of having turnover within the organization. And we know that, and they know that workers will vote with their feet. So if they don't embrace this concept of wellness, of helping people thrive, people will leave. And that is extraordinarily costly. And we know that because workers that are well, who are thriving, who are not burned out, they take better care of patients. They have better patient compliance or adherence. They work longer hours. They are less likely to work part-time. They are less likely to leave the workforce or retire early. And virtually every measure of quality of care is improved when the healthcare workers are well and not burned out. So while five years ago, this may have been a somewhat difficult sell or dubious sell to the C-suite, I think now in the pandemic and as we're coming out of the pandemic, that that is recognized. So it's a really good point, Steve. You know, as we are emerging, I hope, from the pandemic. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you know, there's there's hard data is showing us that 17% of nursing positions in the United States are unfilled, that our nursing units nationwide are understaffed to the point of, you know, danger both to the nurses and to the patients. And 11% of physicians have left the workforce since 2020, are no longer clinically practicing. And, you know, there's consensus that burnout is the leading cause of these vacancies and departures. How about you, Karen? What are your insights into culture change to get people to really focus on, you know, mitigating these drivers of burnout? I think the thing is you have to have an environment, you know, you have to create an environment that's conducive to caring and kindness. So it has to be built on mutual respect and data. You, you have to be compelled by information, validated information, not someone's opinion or someone's habit or tradition. I mean, during COVID, we always said, don't let perfect get in the way of good. Because we were making changes 
You know, I think for healthcare, we made more changes in two and a half years than probably the past hundred because we had to. And the fact of the matter is, is we, we, we as a, an industry don't like to change. I mean, what's, what's the estimate that they put? I think it was in JAMA. Even though you've got a validated best practice, it will take 17 years for us to adopt it. So thinking about that, your foundation is really important. Challenging yourself with best practice and knowing that best practice is outside your walls. Oftentimes, when we are talking to clients about, well, this might be a great benefit in streamlining operations and make day-to-day work in any given area, the ED, a nursing unit, better, or putting a break room here that has access to natural light or designing or giving space to respite rooms, right? All of that, as you alluded to earlier, square foot costs money. Non-patient care square foot doesn't earn any money. And so to a certain extent, it feels like, you know, we have to be in a position of demonstrating to our clients the value of retaining those nurses, the value of retaining those physicians. And so, Terry, can you tell us about some of the design changes that you've seen being implemented through the clients that you've worked with in the recent past that you think will really make a difference in this problem of workforce dropout? Absolutely. And like I said before, two ways of really looking at retaining staff. Let's make the environment the best place to work. Nurses do not like to be hunters and gatherers of supplies. Things that we see like nurse servers, appropriate supplies in the room when I need them. Glass doors. Boy, what did we learn during COVID? Those glass doors, a way of communicating, a way of watching patients, they were perfect. I wish every unit had glass doors and then we can pull a curtain for privacy. If I only have a 10-minute break, where am I going to go? I can't really leave the unit. Another lesson learned during COVID was if only three people get to get on the elevator, it takes me 20 minutes to get to the cafeteria. So I need a place on the unit to just take my 10-minute break. Maybe check my phone, check on my kids, what's going on. What if we were to take one bed out of commission on a unit and our turnover rate decreased? One nurse, it's about $100,000 to hire a nurse. What is the revenue off of a bed on that unit? An average nurse walks four miles a day. If we can decrease that, that mileage, you know, that's 20 miles in a week just during your shift. Now, good exercise plan. But is that necessary? And we're looking at a workforce of nursing. The average age of a nurse right now is 50 years old. We need to retain and make it an easy place to work for all of our staff, not just the spry 25-year-olds. So I think there's lots of things we can do on the unit and in the workplace that we can see in design. And Karen, how about you? In your role at uh, UCLA, you've also been through a number of design and construction projects. What kind of insights have you gained from that? You know, things that you'd like to see done differently so that the workplace wellness can really be integrated, or have you seen that really get done well? I think over the course of my career, I've been involved in a variety of of uh, construction projects. And um, one of the most valuable takeaways was several years ago with another organization where 
architects in combination with the organization literally built out a room in an office building. Tile, you know, tile on the floors, the angled floor in the bathroom for shower drainage, etc. So that's that's probably my biggest takeaway. And use the use the equipment, use the real things, so that people can actually use the room or the mock-up the way they would use a, a real room. And that's really important because as much as we've spent a lot of time today with you and Steve talking about programs to support wellness, like these are important parts of it. But, you know, as we've discussed, one of the drivers of burnout is this sort of little moments of stress that are added into people's days through inefficient workspaces, right? So a bedside nurse spends a lot of her time in that patient room and understanding what's going to make it go well or what's going to cause an accumulation of frustrations over the course of the day over the long term will in fact add to burnout. I like to end these conversations on uplifting notes. And so I'd like to ask each of you, as you think about the future and the work that you're doing on caregiver wellness, What gives you hope? I think what gives me hope, Hina, is the fact that people acknowledge this burnout. You know, part of the issue is it's always been an issue, just like the nursing shortage has always been an issue. But everybody stayed quiet to it. You know, it's a shame it took the pandemic and some of the things leading up to the pandemic to illustrate the the significance of burnout and staffing shortages and things like that. And there's a lot of little joys every day. And I think we've recognized the importance of calling those out. And they're simple things. But people in healthcare do extraordinary things in the course of their ordinary days. And we need to relish that and celebrate it and focus on the positive. Uh, Burnout doesn't have to be sad. Burnout has to be identified And then you have to help somebody and we need to continue to find ways to improve the environment and to improve ease of access and to improve recognition of all those little things. So I have a lot of hope for nursing and I have a lot of hope for healthcare. And my one wish is that we continue to be disruptive in our innovations and that we continue to challenge the status quo. Steve, to you, what gives you hope when you think about caring for the caregiver? Well, not to be kind of too flippant about it, but every organization now knows how costly it is to lose people and how costly it is to hire people. So that has really put the well-being of the caregiver in the center of plans of discussions, of meetings, of purpose. And I've seen that change in a very rapid, you know, just within two years, really, that conversation has really changed. I'm also hopeful because I think these, the concept of caring for the caregiver has positively contributed to issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We hear those, we hear that come up in conversations, but much more than we used to. And I think they are linked. And I also am hopeful that we now consider the safety of our caregivers much more than we did before. So those three things, I think, 
are positive and bright spots in what's largely been a dark era. Terry. I think the biggest thing that gives me hope is the recognition that we have to take care of caregivers. Was it COVID that caused this because of all the burnout? I don't know. But the recognition is fabulous right now. The press on how can we help nurses and doctors, all healthcare providers, but it's also on first-line responders right now. This recognition is huge. The other thing that gives me hope, I'm on the University of Washington School of Nursing Advisory Board. The number of applicants in the last two years for nursing school and for medicine is up. This is wonderful. Young people, everyone is turning back and going back into nursing and medicine. It means that our experience over the last three years has not changed their minds. This is great. And what can we do to make that environment that they work in the best place in the future? Well, thank you so much. You know, I am so grateful for the time that you and Steve spent with me today and so grateful for your leadership, both at your institutions and nationally in your professions. And I'm hoping that our listeners here today can take some of these really rich lessons learned and try to do exactly these things that you describe as ways to address burnout and allow people to experience joy in their careers. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hannah. It's a pleasure. Thank you all for tuning in to Uplift and special thanks to our guests, Karen and Steve. To see more ideas on this topic, including an HBR article we co-wrote with the Massachusetts General Hospital on the topic of caring for the caregivers, visit our website at nbbj.com. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. We'll see you on the next episode.